Gear up as Cash Miller and a team of accomplished guests steer you on an enlightening voyage filled with valuable tips, fresh insights, and effective strategies. Welcome to Marketing Masters, the Agency Power Show. Hello, everyone. This is Cash Miller, the host of Marketing Masters. I'm the CEO of Titan Digital. This is going to be a really interesting conversation today because AI and how it is working with search, things that Bing and Google, you know, Microsoft, Google, the Bahamas of the search realm, the things that they are doing to incorporate AI into their actual search results and how things could be working in the future. You now that's gonna be the discussion today. I've got with me Jason Barnard. You now he is, um, his company is Calicube, and, but Jason is a preeminent expert in, you know, that doesn't work for Google, but is about as close as you're gonna get to be bringing in someone that, you know, as if they did work for it, you know, for one of the two big companies. Uh, he's extremely knowledgeable and he's got a real insight into what the two companies are doing, you know, with AI and how they're gonna be incorporating in the search results. So I'm really excited by the show. Jason, thank you for being here. Introduce yourself, let us know, you know, and what's Calicube too? Brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. Cash, you've made me as red as my, my shirt um, <laughs> with your compliments. Uh, yeah, I'm Jason Barnard. I run a company called Calicube, and we focus on educating Google and educating Google about your brand, your marketing strategy, who you serve, how you serve them, and why you are the best solution to the subset of Google and Bing's users who are truly your audience. Because at the end of the day, these search engines are recommendation engines, and we want them to recommend our clients. And I built a SaaS platform called Calicube Pro that automates the process of understanding how to educate these machines, how to convince them that we're the most credible solution, how to educate them about what solutions we offer and to whom. And that all centers on Brand. Everything is about brand now. And what we've ended up with is a situation where by focusing on brand, marketing, and SEO in that order, you can build a solid online business with the marketing you should be doing anyway for the audience you're serving packaged for Google. So Google becomes the addition. It becomes the secondary source of traffic and revenue. Um, and we, we have a system called the Calicube process that I've invented, which is marketing, brand, and SEO mixed together. Uh, and with Calicube, we've implemented it ourselves. First year, we got 25% increase in revenues and leads just from the digital marketing without any SEO, because we focused on marketing first and serving our audience in the places they hang out online. We use Calicube Pro to understand where we needed to focus. And then the second year, 300% growth in search traffic, simply wow. because Google and Bing have understood who they can recommend us to for what services and that we're the incredibly, most incredible, credible solution for the subset of their users who are our audience. Now, that's the pitch. Uh, and my business is growing hugely. That's 100% growth in two years because we had 60% growth in revenue the second year. 100% growth in two years is absolutely huge based on good marketing, common sense, and packaging for Google and Bing. Um, and now, who am I? I come from a world of rock music. I was a double bass player. You can see the <laughs> bass behind me uh, in the 90s in a punk folk band. Then I was a cartoon blue dog 
in a TV series. And now I'm a digital marketer and enjoying it thoroughly. Wow. I, I always find it interesting, you know, that people that get into this, we all have like very diverse backgrounds, I've yes. noticed. You know, like before I was a digital marketer, uh, I was in the you know U.S. Army. So you know, all right. You know, and people, we we end up as a kind of as a group. People start dabbling, and then it's like, mm -hmm. wow, this is like really interesting. And then they kind of go further, and eventually it becomes a career. You yeah. know, and you know, so people get their starts in different different ways. But this industry has always been one that is very um, self taught. You know, we learn mm -hmm. from others and such, and we have to be willing to really dive in. And yeah. if you're not willing to learn, you will, you will not succeed in this industry because you it's a constant um, flow of information. And there's so many things that are always changing, you know, in one realm or another, you know, so yeah. it's, it, it's you, you have to have a, um, I guess, a real want to learn and grow as a person because of the knowledge Absolutely. you know that that is available if you don't want to do that you won't be successful yeah curiosity and consistency and a desire to learn as you say hugely important i actually started in 1998 on the internet so i started in the year google was incorporated so google and i have grown up together over the last 25 years yeah, I, I didn't start that early. I'm, I started about 2007, but right. yeah, so it's, and it really the way the internet itself has been shaped. And of course, AI, you know, the, you know, we're getting this huge upheaval now, but the, mm. the changes in the internet, you know, back then, you know, when you started, it was Yahoo and stuff and Google was barely yep. even known. And now it's, you know, so mm. you, you see that transformation of many companies and not, you know, not just how we've used the internet and how that's been shaped, but the companies behind them and stuff you know, yeah. that have grown and evolved and such. It's, it's really a, an amazing thing. And now we have a lot of history to go with. Right. Yeah. And I, I had a really interesting experience. I was invited to a, a, a Google seminar in Paris at Google France. And the seminar was about where the, the cloud technology they currently sell came from and why they developed it and the history mm. of it. And it's a really interesting point is they developed the technology to be able to do the things that they wanted to do because the technology didn't exist. Yeah, Big query, big data, mm. uh, building a knowledge graph, all of that didn't exist. And so they had to build the technology to do what they wanted to do. So a huge part of both Google and Bing is the race to build the technology for the next stage. Yeah, well, so what we've got is exactly that. We've got a race on now mm. when it comes to AI. And yeah. you've got a little bit, you know, some significant insight into what Google's doing with their search results, but also what Bing's doing. Because, yeah. you know, Bing has been, you know, kind of second fiddle for better than a decade now. You know, mm. they've always been playing catch up. But, of course, they're backed by Microsoft. So it's something mm. that they can... You know, they can continue in with no problem. But now with, you know, Bing is, you know, and Microsoft is a backer of ChatGPT. And yep. Google's got their bard that they're, you know, coming out. So where is this going? What do you, like, give us some of that, yeah, that insight, you know, that you have on what these two companies, because these are still the, these are the dominant players, you know, the percent, mm. over 90% or whatever of all searches, you know, are going on on either platform with the majority still on Google, but where are they taking this? Right. That's a hugely interesting question, hugely important. And uh, everybody is asking this question. I, I was visiting my father for tea 
on Sunday. And he asked, and he was absolutely enthralled. And he understood, uh, whereas he hadn't understood before. And I explained kind of what's happening, where it's going. Uh, so even, he's 86, so an 86-year-old <laughs> man is interested in generative AI in search, which is hugely yeah. wonderful. It might just because I'm his son, but that's... Well, it's, a, it's really fascinating. I don't, I don't think I, you know, and your father being of that age is, you know, I think of how many things, you know, a bit older, like younger generations, they're used to it. We've seen this huge transformation and we're mm-hmm. around to see more. You know, that's kind of the thing, you know, you know, I was born when, you know, computers were just coming along as far as personal yeah. ones, you know, so it's amazing. So where are we going, though, with AI, you know, with the it, search results? Uh, as you say, it's a huge upheaval um, and it's been very fast. Bing released their Bing chat using chat GTP on Bing in February and that forced Google's hand. Google weren't ready They've been preparing for generative AI in search for years, but they weren't yet ready. And Bing forced Google to then release very quickly. And I think it's important to remember that the generative AI we're looking at today is actually simply a summary of the search results. Both machines simply take the search results they're generating anyway and then summarize them. Okay. So from that perspective, the aim of it is to help the user get to the answer more efficiently. And at Bing, I talked to Mina's merchant, who was saying, at Bing, our goal is to get the user to their solution to their problem as efficiently as possible. And generative AI makes that hugely, hugely simple. And talking to Ali Alvi, I did a series of interviews with the Bing team leads, because Bing have nothing to lose by sharing what they're doing and their technologies and their insights and their what they're doing with their algorithms. So they're much more open. So I interviewed five people at Bing, and you can find that series on our website on calicube.com, and indeed on Search Engine Journal, I wrote them up as articles. The the approach that uh, Ali Alvi explained to me was the featured snippet is to simplify the knowledge panel, which is the knowledge information box on the right-hand side on desktop, is a summary of the entity, the thing that we're searching for, that simplifies our job as a user, and we don't have to go to multiple sites to find the different parts of information, it brings it all together in a knowledge panel. So that's why knowledge panels are a huge focus for us. But luckily for us, if the generative AI right now is multiple micro-featured snippets stitched together, yeah, and it's going to become a dynamic knowledge panel, i.e. understanding and truth of the minds of these huge, huge machines so it becomes a knowledge panel, and if you're recommended by the generative AI in the future, it's recommended based on knowledge, mm. on understanding, and on credibility, which Google call EEAT. And I would add an end to that, which is notability, expertise, experience, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. Because being notable is hugely important. With generative AI, you're going to be given a very small choice of options, You've moved from 10 blue links, 10 options, to two or three options. And at that point, you need to be notable, expertise, expert, sorry, um, experienced, authoritative, and trustworthy. And in essence, understood confidently and credible. So, okay, so that's a lot of what Bing is considering. So how similar is Google approaching it from what you understand 
you know, are they taking a sa the same type of path yep. to it, or are they looking at it's going to be the same thing essentially? Yeah, I, I've been. I mean, I've got access to the search under to experience, and it's exactly the same. Is that they they okay. they stitch to that together mini featured snippets. So it's a, a stitch together feature snippet mm -hmm. right now, but I'm looking to the future and saying if we treat it like a dynamic knowledge panel, then we're ready for the future. And we're already working today. And what I like to say about CaliCube is our strategy worked yesterday, works today, and already works tomorrow. Hmm. So in the case of this, you know, when we look at the search results, at least on desktop and stuff, but even, you know, on phones and whatnot, hmm. you know, you're including, I mean, the, the results are already made up of multiple parts. You know, you've got yes. your ad section, you've got your organic, and depending on the search, you could have the map section. And in the case of, you know, Google, they've had like the local listing ads and stuff. And you get this like, you know, depending on the search you're doing, the result, the way the page physically looks and the things that you're having to scan through can look very different. How is adding another piece, another element going to affect it? And are they going to, do you think they're going to, you know, over the long term, is it going to affect other areas? So, because right now, my understanding is, is you're basically planting it on the page. You're leaving the other stuff alone. You just have this new part, but does it hmm. stay that way? Does anything else go away, get reduced? Because we know how they've done, you know, with ads and such. You know, it used to be we had sidebars and stuff, and now they're, you know, all on the top. They added another listing. You know, they've changed the physical makeup of the search mm. results. Are they going to be doing that, do you think, down the road, and we're going to see another shakeup? I think, I mean, what we already see with the search generative experience is once you start the conversation, the search results either disappear or reduce drastically. So what... Both are saying, Bing and, my, and Google, is that search will always be the jumping off point, i.e. people come in through search. And as you said earlier before the show, you were talking about the fact that they can't shoot themselves in the foot with their own yeah. advertising platform. So search will always be the jumping off point. But the idea is to bring people down the funnel and answer the questions along the way. And Fabrice Canal, who I have chats with every now and then, explained to me that for them, the idea is to bring the user down the funnel when it's helpful and then send to the website when the person is ready to go to the website. So making it much more fluid, simple for the user, for your audience. And when I suggested to him perhaps that would mean a reduction in the search volume, he said, no, it's going to create new usage. And that's supply creates its own demand is that he expects search to expand and search generative experience or Bing chat in their case uh, to, to be an addition to an, an additional pathway to conversion on your website. Well, okay, so what I wonder a little bit is, you know, so in the case of Google shooting itself in the foot and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. that is related to, you know, traditionally organic results are what have always driven traffic for especially yeah. news sites, blogs, things like that. Yeah. And then on those sites, they make money often because of the advertising that's placed because of Google's ad, ad network, you know, click mm -hmm. on one of the ads, a display ad or whatnot. And of course that, you know, the site's going to get paid, you know, a portion of the revenue that's generated from the click. That's how, and you know. You mentioned $12 billion a year, I think. Yeah, it's like 
yeah, for Google, it's a ten to twelve billion dollar a year business, so they don't want to shoot themselves in the foot by jeopardizing. If you jeopardize the traffic that goes to the site, you jeopardize the revenue that comes from the ads, you know, that are on the site, uh, and that's you know the problem that they're you know they're going to have. So what I wonder, based on what you're saying, if you add something else into the search results and it's taking up more space, will it still it? I think it still has the ability to, you know, or the possibility of jeopardizing some of that traffic because the yeah. more you put in front of people, <laughs> you know, we talk about the majority of traffic comes to, you know, when it's organic related, it's the first result, second, third, and so on. And as you go down, it drops off dramatically, right? And then you get into, yeah. if you ever get to page two, forget it. Like, you know, but if you're also pushing those results down, the page, you know, we're showing all this other stuff. You've got ads. Now you've got the AI stuff. I can't see the tr the organic traffic not suffering. Yeah, sure. And 100%, it's a really, really good point. And it also brings to mind the fact that I was talking to Fabrice from Bing, and they don't have that as a situation. So they can afford to bring people down the funnel and then send yeah, they them to the website. Yeah. And Google yeah, needs to create huge, that. It's not a, Right. The, the network, they don't have the same network that Google has, yeah. so it's not a revenue generator like that. So Google's approach isn't going to be what Bing's approach was, which is an assumption I was kind of making, and you've made a very good point that wakes me up to say, well, actually, no, I need to consider what Google are, are actually doing. And the what's really interesting from both perspectives is uh, four, three or four years ago, Nathan Chalmers from Bing talked to me about the whole page algorithm, how Google designs or Bing in this case, sorry, designs that final page, which, how they choose whether they put videos and knowledge panels and image boxes sure. or blue links. And Gary Ilyash a few weeks ago said that they do exactly the same thing. They call it the magic mixer. Uh, it's a really silly name if you ask me, but nobody asked me. Um, <laughs> and Bing call it the whole page algorithm. And the huge irony, it's a delightful story, is I wrote an article about Darwinism in search. And when I met Nathan Chalmers, who's the team lead for the whole page algorithm at Bing, he was laughing. And I was going, why are you laughing? And he said, because you wrote the article on Darwinism and search, and it's absolutely brilliant. The irony is one of the algorithms in the whole page algorithm is called Darwin, and it's totally <laughs> anti-Darwinistic. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, because that's really interesting also is – you know, whenever we, you know, a search result loads up based on your intent and stuff, you know, the, the page you get back, whatever you're searching for can vary, you know, significantly. So is there a point possibly where AI is not even included in the results, depending on what you want? Because, you know, I think of, you know, local businesses and such that are more map reliant and the map doesn't always come up, yeah. of course, you know, because it understands your intent. I need something or I'm researching something, you know, there's a big difference. Um, would they end up not showing AI results as part of the return, you know, that page when it loads based on the search, you know, similar to, because even ads don't show up for certain searches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it depends on what it is because you, you know, whatever you're doing, you can get a much drastic different, you know, uh, yeah. you know, display. So what do you think? Yeah. I remember seeing somewhere I figure, I think it's uh, depending on the market and depending on the um, geo region anywhere between 6 and 12% of SERPs have ads, and actually the majority don't. Uh, I can't remember where I saw that, and I, you, know, you, you can quote me on it in the sense that my memory is very good for numbers, so I'm very sure of that. Uh, the local results are getting generate, uh, generated or included into the generative AI, 
and they're including ads already. Uh, but the point you make about not showing the generative experience is that if there's a knowledge panel, Google will not show the search generative experience by default. You have to click on the button to get it. So right. if Google, and this is the CaliCube approach, we're saying the right-hand side of your SERP is knowledge, Google's knowledge, and the left-hand side is Google's recommendations. So from that perspective, if Google has both knowledge and recommendations in the SERP, there is no real need to put the search generative experience in place because you have the knowledge panel and the search results were already organized. Right. So from that perspective, we're already in that situation. And if you, for example, if you search for a person, if you search for my name, Jason Barnard, J-A-S-O-N-B-A-R-N-A-R-D, you'll see a huge knowledge panel with knowledge panel cards. It makes me look like a superstar, even though I'm not. But that's me educating Google and building confidence in Google's mind about its understanding of me. So it shows an amazing result. I just saw your eyes open as you saw the result. <laughs> yeah, because I, I just did the search. Yeah, and you're yeah. right. That... The, dis the display on the result is significantly different than what you would normally get if you just searched for somebody. Yeah, and that's uh, if you look at the knowledge panel cards at the top of that search, that's already search generative experience, but it's been going for two years. So that was their first attempt at the, the, the idea of building those blocks. So if you search for that on Google when you have access to the search generative experience, it won't show the search generative experience. And if you click on the button to generate the generative AI, it simply shows you the same result. It huh. doesn't show, it doesn't create anything new. It just shows you those knowledge panel cards, the knowledge panel itself, and the recommendations on the left-hand side. So that could be a signal or a clue as to what's going to happen in the future. As it builds out the knowledge graph, as it builds out its understanding, it will be able to present these incredibly rich factual representations without having to have this specific search generative experience. And they can then keep the recommendations on the left-hand side, keep the ads, and keep the traffic flowing to websites. And if they can gotcha. pull off that trick, they're going to be okay. <laughs> that's, going to, that's going to take some work on their part, certainly, to, to do that. Because also... Uh, sorry, I, I just realized something. I've just given advice to the biggest corporation in the world. <laughs> on where they need to go, yeah. Are you listening, Google? Yeah, right. Well, because you, um, I mean, in doing that, you know, I did that search for your name, and it's significantly different in those results. And you don't see it, you know, that often when, you know, you search for brands and such, you know. Um, <laughs> in fact, I would like to, you know, let's see. I'm just curious what comes up. Yeah, I search for something like a brand like Pepsi, and it doesn't do the same thing. Yeah. No. And so if they can kind of take it that way, it, you know, it makes that search result way more personal, you know, mm -hmm. for it. And I can see what you're kind of saying is you still leave room for the other, th you know, other pieces of the yes. results page within, but they are personalizing the experience. That's like. Right. <laughs> and what's super interesting is that. At CaliCube, as I said, we focus on the right-hand side knowledge, the left-hand side recommendations, and the CaliCube process is all about that. And we've spent the last two years building up the CaliCube process for CaliCube itself, CaliCube Pro, the platform, and Jason Barnard, the CEO of CaliCube. And what happened with both Bing and with Google is right out of the box, the search generative experience and the Bing chat experience was absolutely perfect. And that, for me, indicates exactly what we're saying here. Knowledge plus recommendations 
is where such generative experiences actually exists. And when they have knowledge and recommendations and it's sufficiently strong, you're already safe for the future. And when I said it worked yesterday, works today, and yeah. it already works tomorrow, that's what I meant. Yeah, I think, you know, and another thing too, because what we talked about with um, Google, you know, they have to be, with all of this stuff, while the AI is great, they have to be extremely careful um, hmm. on how they incorporate any of this. Bing has bit, a bit more freedom to, yeah. to play with it because Microsoft as a company has way more revenue streams and stuff, hmm. you know, as far as different sources. So they have a lot more freedom that if they mess it up, they won't hurt themselves as much. Whereas Google is still very, you know, heavy, you know, their predominant revenue stream is, you know, the search, you know, ads and everything. And so if you go messing the results up too much, so they got to be careful. Like, I don't know, the, the difference between the two, because you've dealt with Bing, you know, quite you know, extensively and such. With Google, I don't know, how far do you think they can actually go with their results? Like, there's a point where the two companies, I think, are going to actually uh, diverge in their approaches. Mm. They, you know, Google has to do things different. So does it make where Bing has a chance to catch up a little bit from a search side you know, and grab some of that market share back because they're not you know, hindered the same way? Hmm. Yeah, I think that is possible, maybe even probable. Uh, somebody told me another number that just comes to mind that I remember seeing, but I can't remember where. One percentage point in the search results in terms of dominance in the search market is worth a billion dollars a year. Wow. So yeah, I mean, Binger at whatever, six <laughs> percent. Yeah. They get to seven, that's an extra billion dollars. They get to eight, that's an extra billion dollars. Yeah. Um, so from Bing's perspective, it's it, it's all winning because they're already profitable. And as you said, it's a small percentage of the overall revenue streams of Microsoft. They're, they're, they're in a no-lose situation here, yeah. um, which explains why Fabrice Canel smiles so much. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, because this for them is a game changer, and for the last, you know, like I say, over a decade, you know, they've been always been seen as kind of behind the mm. eight ball, you know, and since you know two thousand five or something, I think is you know when it really began, you know, that Google was separating itself, yeah, and then, of course as you know Yahoo became irrelevant and such, you know, it's, mm. it really was a, it changed the landscape. So what we have is a chance that the landscape changes significantly again. I think from you know, like I say, I'm an you know marketer and advertiser and such i like the idea you know that that bing can kind of catch up because google is so dominant and there are so many businesses that are essentially built around what happens there you know that it's it's kept everything where you know competition has gotten really tight you know like there's so much of it because everybody's having to work off of essentially the same platform and we don't care as much about the other one it's an afterthought and now if they can balance it out a little bit better there's a that for as an advertiser that you know opens up more opportunity for clients and such you know things to pursue that's good you know i think just for the marketplace in general yeah no 100 percent. i i like Bing. i mean i don't use it but i like it um (laughs) and it's a lot of fun to play with and the results are actually very different and they're they're really very 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 good um yeah but from the perspective of, you mentioned a lot of businesses are built around that one particular platform, which is Google. And they're going to struggle. Whether Google wins the battle or doesn't win the battle, it doesn't matter. You're always going to be struggling if you've based your business on Google traffic. And we've got clients coming to us now saying, 
we're freaking out because we've lost our ranking because of EEAT, because we don't have a real brand and we need to build a real brand. And that's what yeah. Cali can help them with. But building that brand means building a marketing strategy that makes sense to your audience. And that's what we focus on. So the business becomes much, much more solid. Uh-huh. A real digital marketing strategy that drives a real business that doesn't just rely on Google because you've got so many other sources of visibility, brand awareness, and traffic, um, and so many touch points on the way down the, the funnel. So from that perspective, I would advise anybody now looking at this, focus on branding, marketing, and SEO in that order. Yeah, it's, you know, businesses for quite a long time now have actually had to build themselves around Google as far as when it's lead generation or anything like that. And like I say, we haven't paid as much you know, attention to Bing for years now. And it's, it is a bad thing that you have to do that because if Google makes a change and we know how Google is, they can, you know, they decide to change their algorithm. They, you know, it could be that they want to mess with the maps. They want to mess with the ads. They want to, whenever they do anything, it affects so many companies. Yeah. Yeah. And some that were, you know, dominating and had built their businesses on, and then suddenly they lose a ranking or something it can really be impactful to the people that work for that business. Mm. Yeah. The business itself, of course. And yeah, I think we need to, the, the landscape needs to be like leveled yeah. a little bit. No, no, I think it's a really good point. But you made me think of kind of something else along the line, which is I think with search generative experience or generative AI in search, things are going to stabilize more. There's going to be less fluctuations because once Google and Bing build the experience on their search engine results pages on knowledge and recommendations brought together, bringing together large language models and the knowledge graphs that they have, they're building it on understanding and credibility and offerings and that understanding of the offerings and the credibility of each individual entity, business or person, at which point things will stabilize. But it's going to stabilize for the people who are ready in a couple of years when that happens. And I would say get ready now. Start creating the content that feeds the large language models. Start creating the knowledge, getting in the knowledge graph of Google and Bing indeed, so that they understand who you are, so that when the large language models and the knowledge graphs come together, and they will create stability but you want to be part of that stability. You don't want to be left behind because it's going to be so difficult to become part of the party if you've missed the kickoff. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's really important. You know, businesses need to be looking at that. You know, if you get in now, as far as what you're doing to stabilize your presence, you know, as they change the results, you're still you'll be protected to a certain degree. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and there will be less influence. And if you're taking advantage of Microsoft of going to Bing too and starting to really build out your presence there, because if they do grab market share uh, or search share, uh, that's going to be a big difference too. And you'll already be in a position to take advantage of it hmm. versus later. Um, yeah. you know, where you got to play catch up, you know, that's always the problem when, you know, businesses, they try to rank themselves now and such, you know, it's, you know, they have companies that have been doing it for years and stuff. And so it's like, it's very hard to make progress nowadays, you know, for it. Um, where do you think the, from the personalization standpoint, just as a consumer, hmm. you know, 
where are the results like right now they're in that testing phase of everything how do you think in the short term things will shake out like i'm not sure i haven't heard anything yet um when google's gonna like release because i know they're doing the the bard stuff and the results is more of a beta thing so they're mm -hmm. not showing it to most people but what does it look like you know for it to be rolled out more mainstream well from a personalization perspective I'm, I don't expect them to do very much in the near future. Okay. There's a problem of cost is that if they personalize results for each of us, it increases their cost quite considerably and they're a commercial enterprise, so they don't want to increase costs if it doesn't bring sufficient benefit. And right okay. now, I don't think personalization would bring sufficient benefit to merit the additional cost. But okay. that, that can certainly change over time as they evolve their, their technology, what we've seen is cost is a huge driver in how Google works, what it ranks, um, what it presents to its users. And if you bear in mind systematically how much does this go cost Google, you can pretty much guess what it's going to do, how it's yeah. working. Uh, there's a guy called Craig Boer, who's a super-duper genius, uh, who talks a lot about the cost to Google. I've been talking about it for years as well, is, is consider how much it costs Google to crawl. And if you can make it cheaper for Google to crawl your website, rank your website, it's going to do that as long as the results are significant, uh, uh, sorry, relatively good enough. Yeah, we don't, yeah, I think that's something, I don't know, we've, we think of all the, I guess, revenue they generate and everything, but we've, you know, we don't think often what they actually spend to make these things happen. They, you know, you just... A consumers just see it happen you know they see the changes and yeah i didn't i have never um i don't think i've ever seen the number of what it would cost to crawl essentially the whole internet which is a continuous thing yeah yeah i i actually asked fabrice canal who creates Bingbot, and he, he he's been okay. there since the very beginning so it's his baby basically okay um and he wouldn't tell me the numbers uh, of, <laughs> about that cost but what he did say is Bingbot discovers 70 billion pages that it has never seen before every single day. 17 billion per day? 70 billion. 70? Yep. Oh, my God. I didn't, like, how could it discover that many on a per-day basis that it hasn't, you know? But that's that new you... pages never seen. And, and that brings us yeah. to the next point that he makes huh. is that they've in integrated machine learning incredibly deeply into Bingbot because what they want to do is avoid following the links to junk and spam. Yeah. So what, they, what the bot does is it looks at the link and it tries to guess what's on the other side. And if it thinks it's going to be spam or a waste of resources, it simply doesn't go. So from huh. that perspective, you suddenly realize that what they're doing is they're reducing costs by training the machine not to waste resources. Yeah. And so goes that if you go put up, you know, pages that are useless or anything, you know, to the actual, you know, visitors and whatnot, they're spammy, you know, spammy pages of some sort, you know, that's why they don't get found, you know, at least yeah. by Bing, you know, so 70, that's like a... a it's a, nuts, a, isn't it? Yeah, it's a hard to fathom number because it's on a per day basis, you know, so it makes you wonder that if it could find that many, and granted, people are publishing every day, you know, we put up a site, suddenly we have 20 new pages or something, you yeah. know, that we've put up on behalf of a client, you know, and, you know, even if you're just changing your site, but you added something, you know, to have that kind of a number on a daily basis, like, I can't even grasp how large the internet page-wise has gotten, 
<laughs> yeah. if, you can, if you can find that many on a daily basis, you know, that are brand new. Right. Well, it, he actually uh, pointed out to me that uh, an awful lot of them are calendars that are badly configured. So you get mm. every single option in the calendar that's crawlable because somebody hasn't configured it correctly. Right. So what he says is the, the bot needs to learn not to crawl the entire calendar. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's example of that and, and the, the uh, what's it called, the, the filtering, faceted filtering. Mm. Sites that set that up badly can have billions of combinations that potentially the bot would want to crawl. So they have to stop it crawling, those billions of combinations. Uh, combinations without losing the content or the combinations of content that makes sense for the user. Huge problem. And he talks about machine learning and says people don't truly understand what exponential means. Accelerating acceleration. And that's what machine learning is doing. It's accelerating acceleration of performance of all of these algorithms. Yeah, everything that was already in place that was already being accelerated, now it's picked up the speed even more. And it's that real hockey that. stick. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. <laughs> Isn't it um, lovely? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just what's going on like with AI and your insight is, is just, it's amazing how much you know, like you've been able to bring to the conversation because, I mean, you are really uh, uh, on the inside you know, of what's going on. Yeah. And it's just, it's great. I am so glad you were able to join us today. Um, how would people get a hold of you, Jason? Right. Number one, you Google my name. Jason <laughs> yeah. Barnard. Yeah, trust me, you're going to find just this Jason Barnard. If there are any others in the world, <laughs> guarantee you're not going to see them. <laughs> and that's a whole new conversation we could have is <laughs> personal branding and what do we do with ambiguous names? And there are 300 people called Jason Barnard. And as you say, none of them get a look in. So that's another conversation. But search my name, Jason Barnard, or my company, Calicube, K-A-L-I-C-U-B-E. And one of the things about the brand SERP, the search engine results page for your brand, is that Google tries to give you the audience, my audience, the choice of how you want to engage with me. Twitter, LinkedIn, my own website, my company website, the articles I write. So that idea of Google is your business card is hugely powerful. And it's trying to represent me to my audience in a way that makes sense to them and gives them the choice of how to in interact with me. And it's my job, my responsibility to make sure Google can do that effectively, efficiently, and accurately. Well, great. Um, so. My name is Cash Miller. I'm the CEO of Titan Digital, host of Marketing Masters. We've had another great show. And if you are really interested in um, you know, how you can dominate, I really do uh, suggest check out CaliCube. It's, um, it is fascinating on the knowledge graph and what can be done. And you know, there's gonna be a lot of shakeup you know, with Google and Bing, these things are already happening, but Looks like they're going to try to pace themselves a little bit so they don't overwhelm yep. everyone. So that's that's really important. Right. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It was absolutely delightful.